All right, if you would, go ahead with me and let's open up to the book of Romans and chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12. As you're turning there, let me say a special word of welcome to uh, the guests that we have with us this morning. We're very glad that you're here and uh, you're welcome here anytime. We love having visitors. We hope that you sense our love for God and our love for one another and uh, we hope that you'll be blessed Uh, Let me also mention that if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you're welcome to uh, grab one of these from the seats in front of you, and uh, we encourage you to uh, to use one of those. Nothing I will say this morning will be more important than the words that are in this book, and uh, you'll find our passage this morning on page 947 in those Bibles. We've spent several weeks thinking about the first two verses of Romans 12. In fact, we've dug into these two verses even more than most. And why have we done that? We've done that because I've argued that these two verses are the practical point of the entire book of Romans. Uh, These two verses, Romans 12 verses 1 through 2, are the bridge between the glorious theology of Romans 1 through 11 and all of the practical commands in Romans 12 through 16. Now, there were some commands in Romans 1 through 11, and there's still lots of theology that will be taught in Romans 12 through 16. But by and large, chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans are truth, and chapters 12 through 16 are are commands. They are the application of that truth. They are what do the truths that we've learned in Romans 1 through 11, how should they impact our lives today? And these two verses are the crucial crux between those two parts of the book of Romans. And so what have we seen? What is the practical point of the book of Romans? Well, in light of God's marvelous mercy and how he has loved us in Jesus Christ, we are to worship him with holy lives. We are to worship the God who saved us with holy lives. We are not to continue living like the world, but we are to be transformed from the inside out. And we are to live as a faithful, redeemed, heaven-bound, God-oriented people in this very dark and confused world. We saw last time that this means renewing our minds. It's as we behold God's glory in His Word, in His truth, that our minds are renewed and we are transformed. It's it's as we look upon Him, His person and His work, as we behold God in the pages of the Bible and all of His truth, that we are made a little more like Him, from one degree of glory to the next. So if we want to be a godlier people, if we want to be a holier people, if we want to be a people who are a greater blessing to our family members and our friends and our co-workers, if we want to be more useful to Christ in this world, this is where it begins, renewing our minds. Now, living a holy life can be very difficult in this fallen world. 
And there are times when it is hard to know what exactly would please God in a situation. So meet Annabelle. Annabelle is a Christian college student. And Annabelle loves the Lord Jesus. But here's the thing. Annabelle has found herself romantically attracted to a young man in one of her classes. And he asked her out and they they went on a date and she really likes him. He seems to be a, a decent guy and he wants to keep seeing her. But it's pretty clear that he's not a Christian. He's not a a fellow follower of Christ. And so she's trying to think through, what do I do? Meet Bryce. Bryce is also a Christian. He loves the Lord Jesus. Bryce also loves his sister. And she would call herself a Christian. But she's been living in a homosexual relationship now for several years. And she's getting married to her partner. And she's asked Bryce to come to the wedding. And Bryce is struck with a dilemma. What does he do? Does he go or not? Meet Corinne. Corinne is a single woman in her 40s who has made it big in the banking industry. She's a Christian. And right now, she's being offered two really excellent job opportunities. Uh, One would mean going to Boston to work as an executive in a very prominent national bank. The other would mean moving to a a mid-sized town in Connecticut where she would oversee a whole group of regional banks. Both opportunities look attractive to her. Both opportunities seem like great opportunities. And she's just trying to figure out, God... Which one do I take? How do I know? What, do I go right or do I go left? And how can she decide? Meet you. Meet you. I hope you are a Christian person. That you love the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have trusted him for your salvation. Every day you face a thousand tiny decisions that you give little or no thought to. And every day you face a few decisions that are more significant. And they require some thought as you think through what to do. And then every so often you confront major decisions that will affect the rest of your life and the lives of others around you. How can you make choices that will be pleasing to God? How can you handle the decisions that come your way so that you live a holy life of worship to the God who saved you? How can you know the will of God? Let's look at Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, one final time. Remember, these these are the very words of God. Beginning in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My goal this morning is to try and serve you by giving you six points to help you apply the end of Romans 12 verse 2 to your life discerning the will of God. I want to help you obey Romans 12, verse 2. And so here are six biblical points that I hope will help this verse become practical and alive in you. So number one, first, in any decision, our aim is to discern the moral will of God. Our aim is to discern the moral will of God. Our verse says that by testing, we may discern what is the will of God. And we need to make clear we know what Paul's talking about there. He is not telling you to discern the sovereign will of God. There's a difference between God's will of morality, what he has deemed to be good and right and beautiful, and God's will of decree what he is actually ordained to happen in this world. When Paul tells you to discern the will of God, he's not telling you to pry into the secret counsels of God to figure it out what God has ordained to happen next. He is a tell, he's telling us to discern what God has established as morally good and right in that situation. So let's take... Corinne's situation of the two job offers, right? So she's got one job offer in Boston, one job offer in Connecticut. Which one is she going to take? Romans 12, 2 does not mean that she needs to try and figure out which place God has ultimately ordained for her to go. Where in God's sovereign plans he has decreed for her to be. That is not for her to figure out. Instead, her calling is to set the two job offers in front of her and determine, will one of these be morally better than the other? Will one tend towards greater good? Will, will one of these job offers put her in a better situation to serve God and be a witness for Christ and love others than the other? That's the idea. Or think about Annabelle's situation. The, the unbelieving fellow that she's interested in. She should not stress herself out wondering, could this be the one that God has for me? Could he be the one? Could, he, could this be the one that God has ordained to be my husband? People drive themselves crazy with thoughts like that, trying to figure out those things. And nowhere in the pages of Scripture are we called to figure out the details of what God has ordained for our lives. And you can't do it. It's a, it's a fruitless effort. God's providence reveals itself to us as it happens. We are not to try and predict his plans for our future. That's actually closer to pagan sorcery than it is to biblical Christianity. So what Annabelle needs to do is put the crystal ball away and she needs to ask this question. Morally speaking, what would God say is right for me to do? In this situation. We know that that's the meaning. Because Paul goes on and he says. We are to discern the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So he doesn't leave us wondering. 
for the grammar nerds in the room, these words, uh, good, acceptable, perfect, they're not being used as adjectives. They're being used as appositives. In other words, these are words that are not describing the will of God. They are three ways of re-saying the will of God. So there's the will of God, that is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. It's three ways of saying the exact same thing, the will of God. Paul says we are to discern what is good. We are to discern what is acceptable. We are to discern what is perfect. It doesn't swerve to the right or left of the moral line. And so here's what we're after. What is God's moral will for my life in this situation? Number two, the umbrella over all of our decisions should be God's glory and our holiness. The umbrella over all of our decisions should be God's glory and our holiness. Have you ever asked, have you, have you ever heard a Christian that was asking, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever asked that question? What is God's will for my life? Friend, I have good news for you because I can tell you God's will for your life. It's not unclear. In fact, over and over again in the pages of the Bible, we are told what God's will for our lives is. It is first and foremost that you live for his glory. And underneath that is part of that, that you seek to live a holy life. You live for God's glory by being a holy person. God's will for you is less about what he has for you to do and more about who he wants you to be. Do you see the difference? God's will is less about what he wants you to do and more about who you are to be as you do whatever you do. We see that here in our passage, especially in verse 1, when he says we're to live lives of spiritual worship to God. That's his will for you. We quote, we quote 1 Corinthians 10.31 all the time. So whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. That's God's will for you. Over and over again, the Bible emphasizes God's will for his people to be holy. You remember that's why Christ saved you. Christ saved you that you would be made holy. That's why he placed his spirit inside of you. This is the great work that Christ has undertaken. This is the project of Jesus in your life by his spirit. He is making you holy. And now he says, walk with the spirit. And then we have statements like this in scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain. From sexual immorality. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or one more. Micah 6.8. As clear as it can be. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you. But to do justice. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. In other words, the bigger issue is not which job Corinne is going to take. 
It's what kind of person she's going to be at either one. God can use her in Boston and God can use her in Connecticut. He can use her anywhere. What matters most is whether she's a humble person, a thankful person, a person of reverence towards God, practicing purity, loving justice and kindness. Now, Herman, don't drive yourself crazy wondering what is God's will for you. He's already told you what matters most. Glorify Him by pursuing godliness. Point three. We're getting increasingly practical as we go in, okay? Point three. Sorry, this one's a little long. Most of our daily decisions have very little thought behind them. Therefore, it is important that we are being transformed from the inside out by seeing and savoring God's truth. Let me say that again and then I'll explain it. Most of our daily decisions have very little thought behind them. Thus, it is very important that we are being transformed from the inside out by seeing and savoring God in His truth. Here is just the reality of what our lives look like. Most of the decisions we make every day are not big decisions. They're not the decisions about who to date or who to marry or what job to take or whether to attend a gay wedding. Those are not the kind of decisions that are usually right in front of us. In fact, you've already made countless decisions today, the vast majority of which you didn't even notice that you made. You had to decide to get out of bed, and I'm glad you did. Uh, You decided whether to take a shower or not to take a shower, whether to use soap first or shampoo first. You decided whether to eat breakfast or to skip breakfast this morning, what to eat for breakfast if you chose to eat it and how you fixed it. You decided whether or not to brush your teeth, whether or not to put on deodorant. I hope you decided yes to both. You decided what to wear to church. You decided what order you'd put your clothes on. You decided whether to put your right shoe on first or your left shoe on first. You've already made hundreds, probably thousands of decisions today. And as Christians... Our desire is to be holy and God-centered in the way we do all of that. In the way we do all of that. Of course, a lot of those decisions have very little consequence. If you chose to put your left shoe on before your right shoe, as opposed to the other way around, that probably has little effect on this world. But here's the thing. You can put on your left shoe... With frustration and anger because your morning isn't going the way that you want it to. Or you can put on your left shoe with a sense of joy and peace because even if you're running late, you know God is in control and he cares for you. It isn't which shoe you put on first that matters. It's who you are as you put it on. How do you become a holy putter honor of left shoes? How do you become a holy person in all of the little decisions that you make mindlessly every day? Answer, last week's sermon. By seeing and savoring God in his truth, you renew your mind and you're being transformed from the inside out. And I love the phrase that one commentator used. As you you see God in his truth and you're being transformed, you're developing a moral intuition. A moral intuition that is 
It's just happening naturally that you're becoming godlier in those little decisions. There are some decisions that we have to make in the moment with little time for thinking that do have greater consequence. Have you ever been put on the spot by someone? And you had to make a decision, boom, right then, and that decision was pretty important. Maybe, um, maybe somebody's getting in their car to go visit someone, and they invite you to jump in with them. But you had planned on cutting your grass today, okay? And the grass does need to be cut. And yes, visiting this person would be a really good thing. And you feel torn, but guess what? He's getting in his car now. you got to decide now. Am I going to cut my grass like I had planned? Or am I going to join him and go visit this person? And you got to make your decision. How do you decide? Or suppose someone comes up to you and insults you badly. And in that moment, your feelings are hurt. And you have to make a decision about whether or not you're going to respond and how you will respond. Will I walk away? Will I answer back? How do we help ourselves make right decisions in those kinds of moments? Answer, we prepare now for those upcoming important on-the-spot decisions by renewing our minds now. The more we are in God's word, the more we are beholding God's glory in his word, the more we are being transformed, we are becoming better kinds of people to make those kinds of decisions. So that person was mean to me. That person was just downright mean to me. But if I've been living in the truths of the gospel, especially that I was an enemy of God, that I was a hater of God, and yet his love was set on me, and he saved me, and he forgave me, if I am living in the truths of the gospel, I am far more likely in that split-second decision to respond with compassion than I am to respond with anger. I don't have time in that moment to go home and research whether revenge is biblical. I need to already know that. I need to have already prepared ahead of time for that kind of thing. I need to have a foundation already in my soul. I need to know from the top of my head to my toes that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. That foundation must be there ahead of time. That person comes, speaks to me, that ugly thing. I can't say, time out, Bible study. It already has to be there. Should I make that visit or should I cut my lawn like I had planned? Well, maybe, maybe you've been thinking about Mary and Martha and you know, uh, what, what uh, Mary was, was doing was considered better. Now, Martha was doing something needful, but Mary did something better. And you've been thinking maybe relationships are, are better than the chores that need to be done. And so out of that, you say, all right, even though the grass needs to be cut, I'm going to go make the visit. But you don't have time to say, hold up, you just sit in your car for 30 minutes and I'm going to go study and I'll come back and let you know. You already have to be living in the truths of God's word to help you make those decisions. By the way, that last example is a good opportunity for me to point out that not every decision should be looked at as a decision between right or wrong. Um, very often the issue is not which decision is right. It's simply which decision is best. Cutting your grass for your family is a good decision. 
going to visit someone is a good decision. And depending on the circumstances in each person's lives, one person might say, this is the wisest thing for me right now. And the other person might say, this is the wisest thing for me right now. And we shouldn't judge each other over that. We should each, informed by God's word, make the best decisions we can to the glory of God and show grace to one another when we disagree. Okay. Number four. Number four. We should strive to live more thoughtful lives. We should strive to live more thoughtful lives. That is the calling of verse 2. The calling of verse 2 is that you do seek to think more about the decisions that you're making. It is true that many decisions in your life will have to be made with little ability to think through them in that moment. But it's also true that sometimes we're more prone to be thoughtless than we need to be. Sometimes in a moment it feels like we have to respond right then, but actually that's not always true. Sometimes a person puts a tough decision right in front of you and says, you need to make that decision now and you have the right to say, actually, I need time. And you, and you don't make that decision then so that you can pray through it and think through it because it matters. Christians are to be training themselves to be sober-minded we're to be teaching ourselves to live on purpose, being intentional in our actions, more thoughtful as we walk through our days. So a lot of people will just click on that webpage or they'll turn on that television show or they'll sing along to that song without even stopping to think, should I be doing this? Christians are to be more intentional than that. We're to be more self-aware and sober-minded. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Imagine that you're walking through the African jungle. Okay? And you know there's lions roaring out there. There's a sense of alertness about the decisions you make. There's a sense of alertness about what you do, how loud you talk, which direction you take. We are to live our lives in this world with a sense of alertness about our actions and where we allow our thoughts to go and the way we speak. Number five. Some decisions in the Christian life are not unclear, but are made more difficult by our flesh. Some decisions in the Christian life are not unclear, but are made difficult by our flesh. It is not unclear that a Christian person should resist looking at people who are not their spouse in a sexual way. But when that opportunity is put right in front of the Christian, that moment of decision can feel difficult. Not because we don't know what's right, not because this is some kind of morally gray area. It's not a morally gray area. It's made difficult because of indwelling sin, striving against you, seeking you to bring you back into your former slavery. Sometimes decisions feel tough and they're not actually tough. It's just our flesh makes them feel tough. When you're at Western Sizzlin and you feel inclined to go back up to the buffet for the fourth time, it should not be unclear that that's not a good idea. That shouldn't be unclear. But you just like those rolls so much. 
and your, your stomach makes, you, makes it feel unclear. When that happens, what we need is not Romans 12, verse 2, testing, figuring out what God's will is. What we need is Romans 12, verse 1, present your body as a living sacrifice. Surrender yourself to God's will. Say to your body, no, you belong to Jesus. Do what's right. That's how I see Annabelle's decision about whether or not to keep seeing a non-Christian fellow. The Bible was not unclear on that. It says Christians are only to marry Christians. And if you're not dating someone because you're considering marrying them, then what in the world are you doing? And so if Annabelle feels romantically attracted to this non-Christian guy, what she needs to do is put some distance between her and him. God loves her. God has given her these principles for her own good, for her own happiness. She's walking into danger if she keeps pursuing that relationship. The Bible's not unclear, but her emotions, her feelings are working against what's best for her. In this decision, will she have the spiritual strength to speak to herself and to demand that her emotions and her feelings submit to the God who saved her? And of course, she doesn't exist. The real question is, will you? Will you, when your feelings, when your emotions seem to be making what should be an easy decision hard, will you have the spiritual fortitude to say, no, I will submit to the Lord Jesus. He loves me better than I love myself. He knows me better. He is smarter. He's wiser. I submit to him. Sixth and finally, when the will of God in a situation is unclear to us, we should set potential decisions against the standard of God's word for guidance. When the will of God in a situation is unclear to us, we should set the potential decisions against the standard of God's word for guidance. This is what our verse is talking about when it speaks about testing. When I take a test, I am taking my answers to questions and I'm putting them against the standard of the answer key. That's what I'm doing. Depending on how my answers measure up to that standard, I'll either get a good grade or I'll get a bad grade. God's word is a standard for us. It's a, it's a rule beside which we can take the potential decisions we would make and we can see how does this decision measure up to what God says is best for my life. Now, Herman, what a gift this is. What a gift that God didn't leave us in moral confusion with nothing to look for or to look to as guidance for what's good and right and blessed. This is light in the darkness. God's word is help for your soul. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for Every good work. The scriptures are sufficient to equip you for every good work. There is nothing in this life. There is no calling that God can place upon you for which scripture is insufficient to equip you. There is no decision in your life for which you cannot find real and sufficient help in the pages of the Bible. 
The Bible is a handbook for life. It is a manual to guide you into holiness and every possible activity. It's more than that. It's more than just a manual for life, but it is not less than that. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Friends, the Bible is the standard, the rule, the manual God has given you to guide your steps. So, in your difficult situation, and some of you may be in one right now, how do we apply the word of God? How does Bryce decide? whether to attend his sister's gay wedding. Because there's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt or thou shalt not attend a gay wedding. So how do we we get through those kinds of questions? Well, first, we search the scriptures. Uh, We think about the issues at stake. We ask ourselves, what has God said about this matter? We cannot make good decisions if we don't know God's infallible opinion on the issue. Many times, for many issues, searching the scriptures clears it up. You would be surprised. Should I open up this store that gives people in crisis cash loans at exorbitant interest rates? There is no verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not open a check cashing store with exorbitant interest rates. But the Bible says lots about taking advantage of people in financial crisis. Lots. There are issues that are less clear and more complex. So if you've searched the scriptures and you're still unclear how to proceed, fall back on the overarching principles. Come back to the ultimate aim of your life, God's glory through your holiness. The issue for Bryce is this. Which decision will most honor God? Attending the wedding or not attending the wedding? And which decision falls more in line with him being Christ-like and being holy? You know what? People in this room might would disagree over what that is. Some of us might would even say, going to the wedding and showing love to his sister is the most God-glorifying thing to do. And others of you in here would say, no, no, absolutely not. It is love to his sister not to go. That's the best way to show the glory of God in this situation. We can disagree. But we should show charity to one another. We should show liberty to one another as we each seek to honor God with a clean conscience according to the principles of his word. Let me mention that if you're still unclear, you're still struggling to make your decision, that's why God has given you a local church. (laughs) That's why God puts mature believers in your life so that you can go to them and say, help me think through this, pray through this decision with me. And make sure you get this, the whole decision should be bathed in prayer from beginning to end. Because it is ultimately the Spirit who gives the guidance. Now, he won't do so apart from the Word. So don't say, I'm praying for God to tell me what to do. So God, help me know what to do. And I'm just going to listen for the Spirit to tell me. And then you're going to start, a feeling will then dictate your answer. Most of the a feeling will dictate it. The Holy Spirit speaks, folks, but he speaks through the word of God. He speaks through the people of God using the word of God. 
So use the means of grace. Let the Spirit speak to you through the Word and through Christian fellowship. Last thought and we're done. Having prayed, having sought the Scriptures, having sought scriptural counsel from others, you should make your decision and you should move forward. And you should not get paralyzed wondering whether or not you made the right one. Don't rethink your decisions over and over and over again in your head. You know what? There is not a decision you'll make in this life that isn't touched by sin in some way or another. And every one of those sins has been washed by the blood of Jesus. You are to live as a redeemed person. You are to live as a forgiven person, dear Christian. Christ came and died that you would be free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and the guilt of sin. He came to liberate you from these kinds of things so that you could live in the kind of joy and gospel security that makes you a better servant of King Jesus. Don't get paralyzed with the what-ifs. Don't get to Boston and immediately start thinking the grass is greener in Connecticut. Water the grass where you are and trust the Lord Jesus. Mount Hermon, let us renew our minds by loving God's word, by seeing and savoring God in his word, and by testing every decision that we can to the standard of God's word. And may he help us to walk worthy of his glorious name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.